I have found this a challenge to prepare for this message this morning. I'm not exactly sure why, except that I feel the responsibility in a way that I often don't feel it to share this message. As I was on my way to church this morning, I wondered if some of the weight of this message has to do with the fact that there's, a poss- there's always that possibility, but it's a little bit more down sometimes, and that is maybe this is my last sermon. Or maybe it's the last sermon somebody in the audience will hear. And I feel an extra sense of responsibility about the what if. I don't mean to be a prophet in that, but it's, it's always that possibility. But, you know, nowadays it's, life is just a little more uncertain than what we used to think of it. And we've kind of sensed a certain keenness of that reality with the president having contracted the virus with his potential risk factors and so on. And so it kind of makes it more vivid in our minds. Now, I'm not suggesting that the president is in jeopardy of losing his life, but the possibility is more now than it was last week, if you know what I mean. But I brought a, I'm, I'm planning to bring a message this morning that I feel like the Lord has definitely laid on my heart to share. And it's not something that should be um, a dreaded sermon. It's actually one that I'm excited about sharing. Because I feel like we need some reminders sometimes and encouragement to, well, could I say get with the program? We are living in uncertain times. I've already alluded to that. And I find it interesting that in the uncertainty of our times, it creates different scenarios that develop. And one of those that I've noticed is that you hear more concern about being prepared for whatever's coming. Now, we've been hearing from the group called, about a group called the preppers for a good while. Those that feel like we're, we're getting close to some, uh, unnatural or some adverse situations that are coming and, and they're just because of the political uncertainties and, and possibly just reading the signs of the times. And these are not necessarily Christians but they have a sense that there's something coming. And so they're trying to prepare themselves for what eventualities. There are those that are learning how to live off the grid. Uh, just learned about another couple that went out to Idaho and they bought a piece of land and they're going to build their house and, and they're going to, they have a stream on their place and they're going to have everything so that they can be totally self-sufficient no matter what comes. And they're not alone. There's a number of, of those families out there that are doing that. But you also have uh, people advertising uh, food items that will last 25 years or whatever. And, and one of those, well, maybe I shouldn't mention it over. It's interesting to name but Maybe I shouldn't. I don't want to be advertising. But there are these things that are, are being done because of this concern about the uncertainty of our times. And we definitely are living in uncertain times. We understand that. And for the Christian, I believe we should be seeing things that others may not be. And that is, uh, Jesus tells us that that we are to, and and, um, Apostle Paul in his writings say that 
that we should be aware of the times. We should be sober and paying attention, alert, and that we should not be taken off guard. Jesus says that we should be preparing ourselves and he said the times and the seasons you should understand. You don't know the, the day or the hour, but, you, but the Christian who is observant and has the Spirit's uh, directive and understanding things should be able to have a sense that when the time of Christ's return and the judgment is, is coming close. And so I feel that we need to be on our toes spiritually and we need to be the best of preppers preparing for whatever is coming. And so my question to you this morning is, are you a wise prepper? Now, that's not the message title, but I want to say that just to put things in perspective a little bit, what I want to share next. I noticed recently that on the radio, uh, we, we hear this ad. Now, I don't listen to the radio a lot, but I, I hear this enough that I assume it's on there a lot because I don't listen to it a lot. But the ad is, buy gold when things are uncertain. Things are uncertain. And they name the things that are giving us concern about the uncertainty of the times. And they say, and for this reason, you better buy gold. And as I thought about that, I realized that actually we as Christians have been told the same. And so the message title this morning is, Be Bold, Buy Gold. Now you heard it from me. So you have the right to go out and buy gold. But I'm glad that you're not planning to leave before I finish the message. So you know how to go about it and what kind of gold I want you to buy. You know, gold's an interesting thing. Scripture says in Revelation that the streets of heaven are paved with gold and that gold is so pure that it's transparent. You can see through it. So that makes me wonder, well, how pure can gold get or, or why don't we have gold that pure on earth? There's another thing I find interesting about gold. I just read or heard recently uh, in, in studying this thing about gold that scientists are amazed at how much gold is out there in the universe and they don't know how it got there. They can't explain it. So it's like in, in the, the celestial realm, gold is like, well, asphalt. <laughs> That's the way they use it in heaven. And I don't know how scientists know there's gold out there, but they know things about things out in space that I don't know how they know. And I'm convinced that they think they know things out there that they don't know. But be as it may, I'd like to force to think a little bit about gold this morning. And I want to give an illustration of, of how this uh, relates to us and our physical perspective. <clears throat> Marie and I were fortunate enough to take an anniversary trip that found that and we found ourselves in Alaska uh, our 40th anniversary we kind of had hoped to do that sometime on a special anniversary and several times before that it didn't work out and uh, when it came the time for it to work out actually it was interesting I was studying for a sermon one evening my study and I came across a brochure for this Alaskan trip that we had really wanted to go on our 25th anniversary. And that didn't work out. It didn't work out for the 30th. It didn't work out for the 35th. And I was getting discouraged. And finally, I got to thinking, you know, we don't have the promise of so many more, maybe. And if we're going to do this, we need to work at it. Well, when I found this brochure, I discovered that we were actually, we'd already booked our, 
our trip. And the brochure for 15 years earlier was actually twice as expensive as the one we actually was able to go on. So it worked out uh, well that we could uh, make it more feasible. But we got to Alaska. One of the things that we wanted to do was uh, go up the, the, there's a white pass rail that, that takes the passengers up a mountain uh, up to the top of the mountain near Klondike, uh, and this is Alaska. But at the top of the mountain, it becomes Canada, and so you have to go through customs to get on top of the mountain to look down the other side. And this this train track was actually chiseled into the rock, just solid rock. And it was, I say chiseled, it was dynamited. I forget, I read one time how many tons and tons of of gunpowder uh, that they used to blast that those rocks out of there, and this this happened around the first of the century, early early century, maybe even part of the late century before. But they did that because they needed a a good way to get people up on the, over that mountain and and over to where the gold was. The gold was another five hundred miles beyond the Canadian border, over in the Yukon, and I believe it said it was at a town called. Uh, Dawson, Dalton, no, Dawson, Dawson. Now I got it. And it's interesting some of the inf- information that we learned there, and I'm not going to bore you with all of it or take. I don't really have the time, but it, it, there was a fisherman I understand that was fishing over there in that town or, in, or near that town, and he discovered some gold in 1886, and he got excited about it. And he started telling a few folks. And something happened that he would not have imagined, and that is that that word got around, got back to the United States. And in the United States, there was a severe depression at that time. The unemployment was around 20%. You had a lot of people out of work. You had people that were, were really in dire straits. And so the idea of, of unlimited supply of gold was very exciting. It, it got people's Imagination's gone. It got them excited about riches and can, we can, we can actually get on top of things if we just can get there and get our hands on some of that free gold. And it spawned a riot almost. It was a stampede, they called it. A hundred thousand people traveled up from, I believe it was San Francisco. Well, uh, somewhere there on the coast, the western coast. They traveled up there to uh, the, the Klondike or to the city, the, the town at the foot of the mountain, right on the shore there, I can't remember the name of it. Uh, I think it was uh, Sagway. Anyway, they, the government officials were concerned because this was a 600-mile trek from there to the gold field. It was very perilous. And so they made a, a rule that you had to have a, a 2,000 pounds of, back, uh, of uh, equipment and provisions before they let you cross the border to top into Canada. And it'd be 1,000 pounds of food and 1,000 pounds of equipment to, uh, and clothing and, and all that to sustain yourself in this, this whole episode. So there was a stipulation. <clears throat> and I, it's so hard to imagine. But there were people that actually, they hired people, they hired the natives of the area to carry their stuff, uh, and, and they would often make many trips. They would 
They would carry their stuff to a certain point, go back, get more, finally get it on a pile. Then they would start over, take it as far as they could go and drop off 100 pounds and come back and get another 100 pounds. And, and, you know, that's 20 trips. There were some that were able to, to rent horses to backpack this stuff up, up through. And it was a very narrow, uh, it was about one, one direct, one uh, path took 28 miles. The other went 40. The one 28 miles was closer, but it was a lot more rugged and, and hard to, to go through. But especially on this 40 mile one, we, we saw that one because the train track was right above that, that, that went across the top, along the side of the mountain. You could look right down and see the path. You could actually still see the path that they walked on. And at one place they showed, said, now this is what is called the dead horse trail because 3,000 horses died in the process of this whole venture. And of course they didn't bury him. They left the lay. They said it, it became very uh, nauseous. It, and actually I think if it, if it, I remember correctly, and that's been some eight years ago, there were still some bones down there. You could see that they weren't telling you an untruth. It was real. And I could also imagine, almost imagine that I could still sense a little bit of that death in the air. It was, it was atrocious. <clears throat> I'm saying all this to say that, that there were all these people that were willing to make the sacrifice to go that mountain. And by the way, when, when they got to the end of the trail where the horses could go, then it was a 1500 foot, 45 degree angle up the mountain. And it was steps carved into the ice and stone to just walk it. And <clears throat> they have pictures of it, of these, People, that, that whole staircase was full, body to body. And they said, if you got tired and decided to step out to rest, you may be there for hours before somebody was nice enough to let you back in, continue, because it was that many people pushing to get to the top. And of course, they were carrying their hundred pounds up these steps. You just, it's just hard to imagine. Well, actually, According to statistics, about 50,000 of those people that started out decided when they heard how, what was ahead and got testimonies of what was happening and how many people were dying from uh, sickness and whatever, uh, they turned back and went home. So there were about 50,000 that started out, if I understand right. And I understand that only about 30,000 actually made it. You see, after they got to the top, then they camped out at the edge of the, of the, of the river, I think it's the Yukon that went all the way down to, uh, Dawson. And they camped out there until spring and they had to build their shaker boxes. No, that, that happened when they got to the camp where the, the gold was, but they had to build a boat and this boat had to be able to haul their ton of provisions in them. And they had to build these boats from scratch. That's why they had to have provisions. They had to have tools in their provisions to build stuff. It was, it was quite an amazing feat for those that actually made it. And then when they got there, they discovered that most of the land had already been claimed and there wasn't, they couldn't make a claim. And so a lot of them went to town. A, a big town had sprung up to accommodate all that. And they would set up a grocery store. Or I don't know how, where they got the provisions for that, but they, um, I guess the Canadians on the other side could supply those things. But there were uh, bars and, and different things that accommodated people's needs. And that's how they made a living. And they could make a good living because the ones that had found gold were, they would just spend that money. They, they didn't care what you charged. They would just give their money away, basically, because they were so filthy rich. Well, 
I don't want us to focus so much on the history of that. As what I'm saying, all that is just to give us an illustration of, of and think about how important this thing is, this idea of having wealth and riches, earthly riches, can motivate somebody to do extreme things. And that's what it did. Now, some of that was motivated not out of necessarily covetousness. A good bit of it was, but there may have been out of desire, need, that they were so desperate. They didn't have a job. One particular individual was reported to give a testimony that his father actually was one of those and he graduated from, I believe, law school and couldn't find a job. And he gave up his law career to go find gold. And you would think that he would have a, a good opportunity with that kind of education to make it well. But he traded that in, at least for, for a while, to take the risk of trying to make, make it rich. As I thought about this thing of the admonition to buy gold, because of the uncertain times, I thought of what Jesus said to the church of Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3. I'd like to turn there and just read a little bit of, of, his, of Christ's uh, concern for the church as he uh, revealed it through John the inspired writer, John the revelator. He says, in verse 14, and to the angel of the church of Laodiceans write, these things saith the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with eyesalve that thou mayest see. I'll read some more of that a little later. But focusing on verse 18, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire that thou mayest be rich. Do you want to be rich this morning? You know, we all have a tendency to, to like money. And I, I understand that. And I think we can appreciate money and, and uh, pursue the, the benefit of, of what it does for us. We, we, are, we do need it. But it's the attitude toward it that can get us in trouble. If it's a greedy spirit that I need all I can get because of an insecure, an insecure spirit of I don't trust God is what it really boils down to. Then money can get us in trouble. You know, I thought it'd be nice. I thought it would really be nice if I could just bring everybody an ounce of gold this morning so you could have that good feeling of security. Just pass the basket and everybody take one coin out. One ounce. But I had to scratch my head a little bit thinking about what that would cost me. And I calculated that if there were 80 of you here this morning, that'd be over $150,000. And my last check in our savings account, I had a little ways to go to get there. But you know, really, it'd be nice to have two pieces of, so you could rub them together, hear them clink, you know, then you'd, you'd really feel more secure. But I didn't have the, $320,000 to go make that purchase 
and prepare for this morning's service. You see, an ounce of gold right now is worth about $1,880 for one ounce, one coin. I remember the day when it was 400 and 500. Tim remembers those days. Actually, that was when it was starting to get valuable, really valuable, back when, right after we were married, 40, almost 50 years ago, it was 300, in the high 300s, then when it broke 400, wow, gold's really getting valuable. Well, inflation does that to things, and so it's probably no more valuable now than it was then. Well, it probably is a little bit more because the uncertainty of things. But what is gold? In other words, this is a metaphor. It's a symbol. And what are the characteristics of gold that in the spiritual perspective God is calling us to, 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 to buy? Just in simple terms, and we'll get into this a little bit more later, but it's something that's pure, perfect, glorious, and go on to say valuable, of, of intense value. You know, one thing about gold that I thought about that also that I hadn't thought about before, and that is one reason it's so valuable, if you have things in your house that are worth something to you, and maybe there are things that you place value on that are valuable, that could sustain you if you needed to cash them in for sustenance, if things got tight, the money was not, uh, inflation got too high, you might have some things, valuables. But if your house burns down, if you had a, a stash of cash, it would go up in flames. If you had, uh, actually, <laughs> kind of hate to say this, but if you had a lot of coins and the fire was hot enough to melt them, you wouldn't have much really because it's a little bit of fake copper, a little bit of, uh, no, it's real copper, a little bit of uh, other alloys that are supposed to look like silver. And if they melt down, you don't have a whole lot to go to the bank or, or whatever to, to recoup what you lost in the fire. But if you have gold or silver and it gets hot enough to melt that, if you're fortunate enough to dig through the ashes and find it, you haven't lost anything. All you have to do is maybe run it through the fire again and make it pure again, and it's worth what it was, basically. I want to think about that a little bit because that's a good contrast between what God offers us in the spiritual realm and what the world has to offer us. Because what the world has to offer is tentative. It can vanish and it will vanish. But what God offers us is going to last now and supply our needs now and sustain us through eternity. And we're going to need some of that gold so that we have our ticket purchased for eternity. There are three things that are mentioned here that are important for this, this prepper's um, package. And that is... He says, buy gold. Then he says also, buy, put on, get, take, get, how does he say it? Buy gold that thou mayest be rich and, and white raiment. So you buy the right white raiment that you may be clothed. And what does this white raiment stand for? What's the symbolism? It's actually also the idea of purity and right, a righteous life. If you find yourself endowed with that, you're prepared for whatever comes. Then he also says that they should buy Isaiah. Now you see, he was speaking to a group of people that lived in a time of prosperity. And he's, it was a town that, that they were wealthy. They were 
they were sustained, they, they could sustain themselves very well. They were actually educated. They were very educated. They had libraries. They had science. They had, actually, they had developed some of the most effective eye ointment that the known world knew of that time. Maybe it was as good as anything today. I'm not sure. But they were known to have these things, that they were a valuable place. They were on top of things. And they also, they evidently had the gold. And I believe they also were, were uh, producers of, of linen, of uh, superb uh, cloth. And so these are things that they had at their disposal. And he's telling them, you need to buy it as if you don't have it. And that's because he was speaking in the spiritual sense rather than the physical. And so I'd like for us to look at the spiritual implications of these things here this morning. And I plan to use a good bit of Bible references to uh, put them in perspective. But here's a question that someone asked. How is gold purified by fire? Gold is purified in only one way. That's with fire. And we're not talking an awkward brush with the flames. Purification comes from being plunged into the heat of the fire. The place where fire is hardest, the, it's in the place where the fire is the hottest, where it turns blue. That's where the gold has to be so that it will melt and get, give up its impurities. And being kept there until that which is being purified loses any resemblance of what it once was. You see, gold is only worth what it's supposed, it's supposed to be when it is refined, when it is tried by fire. And that's what Jesus said. He said gold, but he specified tried by, with fire. In other words, it needs to be refined, purified, not just something that an iron ore that somebody found, oh, this is going to be valuable sometime. And so here, you've got to accept this. He wants our hearts to be pure, not mixed with uh, all the, the, the good and the bad of the world uh, and the human heart and all the things that can be mixed together. Burning away the impurities. What, is say, what does the Bible say about gold that is tested in fire? Just a number of verses. I'm going to go over them. I'm going to point out that usually there's, there's a reference to the trying of the gold and then the gold. So notice these in, in these scripture verses. In Job 23.10, it says, But he knoweth the way that I take. When he hath tried me or tested me, I shall come forth as gold. And so the trying and the testing is that fire that we need to be able to relate to properly. Zechariah 13.9 says, that I will bring the third part through the fire and will refine them as silver is refined and will try them as gold is tried. They shall call on my name and I will hear them. I will, I will say, it is my people. And they shall say, the Lord is my God. I want us to think about this. It has three perspectives in this verse. First of all, it talks about being tried. He brings them through the fire to refine them as silver is refined. And he's going to try them or, or run them through the fire as gold is, is tried, tested. And then he says, and they shall call on my name and I will hear them. I will say unto this people, I will say it is my people. And they shall say, the Lord is my God. When we can say, the Lord is my God, 
we have the gold. But I want us to notice the part of the verse around that statement is this. It says, and they shall call on the name and I will hear them. And they shall say, the Lord is my God. How do we get the gold? It's by faith we reach out and meet the provisions that God has given us to be responsible to experience the blessing that he wants to put on us. In Isaiah 48, 10, it says, Behold, I have refined thee, but not with silver. I have chosen thee or tested you in the furnace of affliction. Now, the illustration I gave at the beginning, I wanted us to see all the affliction that people were willing to to get to the goal. We are living in a time of affliction. We're living in uh, uncertain times, but we are also living in difficult times, more difficult than what we had been. The pandemic that we uh, have been involved with is not just for us. It's a worldwide phenomenon. And I'm convinced that it is a, a release of God's judgment on the earth for general uh, sin in the world. It's, it's, a, a, it's a warning call. You see, judgment is coming. And through time, there have been many times like this that God has, has sent devastation. He's sent uh, turmoil on the earth. And it's, it's a wake-up call. It's, it's affliction to get people's attention that who's in control. We have a lot of discussion today about climate change and how it's affecting, wreaking havoc across the world. I'm convinced that because people can explain it from a scientific perspective in their minds, they have... They have been able to, to put aside this idea that there's a sovereign God who's in control and allowing us to taste some of his fury on earth and, dis, and, and disapproval of the sin that's in the world. And you know, the Bible says that it rains on the just and the unjust, but his judgments also are affecting the just and the unjust. And so these judgments are not necessarily for us as Christians. However, if we're not claiming the gold, we deserve it as much as anybody else. But we are able to experience these things without having the, the uh, damaging effects in our life that it does on the world. This type of judgment may even take our life, but it did not take our gold. If we, are, if we have invested properly and we have the gold that Jesus said we should buy, then that gold is still ours, it's precious, and it, it's beyond this world. It's referring to that precious life in Christ, which just continues if the devastation of this earth and the, and the uh, experiences of earth are uh, drastic enough that we lose our life. We're still owning the gold. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, it says that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. There again, the fire for the gold is the trial of your faith. But the gold is the praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Now he's going to come back for his church. He's going to appear. And if we have, if we are, uh, if we have invested properly, we'll have gold, like I say, that, that confirms our ticket to glory. We can respond to his return and go back with him. If we don't have, have, we have not invested in gold properly. 
Uh, we won't have that ticket. Another pa passage is James 1, verse 2. My brethren, count it all joy when ye fall into diverse temptations or, or many trials of different kinds. Know this, that the trying or testing of your faith worketh patience or perseverance. Perseverance, another name for gold, patience. That contentment in Christ that helps us to, to accept the difficulties of life with calmness. Relying on him, trusting in him. And it says in verse 4, but let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. What does all that mean? It means that, that again, this defines the goal. Uh, this trial of fire and, and difficulties in life produces this perfection in our life. It says, and it may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing, or another way of saying, lacking nothing in the spiritual sense, in this, up from the soul's perspective. Well, I come again to the thought of what is gold? In 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, But we all, with open face, beholding as in the glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And then in 1 Peter 7, 1, we've already looked at that, but it says that you might be found unto praise and honor and glory. These are things that we can say gold is, is something that's admired. It's something that's glorious. It's something that, that everybody uh, esteems highly. <clears throat> and in, in Christ, we can have that esteem. We can sense that worth in him. It's not our worth. But it's we're worthwhile because Christ has redeemed us and made us precious in his sight. And so what is the fire? Well, I, yeah, that, was, that was just a quick snapshot again of what gold looks like in the spiritual perspective. So what's the fire? It says, whereby ye greatly rejoice that now for a season, if need be, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations. That the trial of your faith, it's the trying of our faith. It's that daily uh, uh, experience of confronting the natural tendencies of the old man that we inherited through Adam. You see, the old man wants to come to uh, become alive. He wants to accept, express himself. And so because of that, we have this struggle and it creates manifold, many temptations or trials or, or situations that we need to sort through. And that is consists or constitutes what the fire is in our life. I'd like to, to do a little bit of a, a theological explanation at this point as it relates to what I just said. When man fell in the garden, when Adam and Eve sinned, they stepped voluntarily stepped out of the graces of God, of that perfection in him, that holiness, that purity, that, that security in what God had given them because of their lack of obedience, their disobedience. They, they threw away, so to speak, that safety and security in God. And, and the, the, the response of God had already been pronounced that if you do that, you will be judged, you will be damned, you will be destroyed, you will die. They couldn't understand all that. 
But in reality, what it meant was they would be separated from God. They would be separated from their own people in physical death, separated from God spiritually, and then eventually separated from God in eternity. That was the pronouncement of the curse of God on sin. God could not tolerate sin in his presence. And so those things are necessary for him to remain righteous and pure and holy. And man in himself, Adam and Eve, could not change their new problem, their state. But God in his mercy promised to send a redeemer, uh, a, a substitute for them to be able to allow to, uh, in faith, looking forward, they could look forward to this provision by faith and apply it to their situation then. And of course, in obedience to that faith, they would sacrifice animals to demonstrate their obedience. I don't think that killing an animal uh, and, and burning it was necessarily what saved them. It was their faith in, in God's provision that caused them to do it, that God recognized. And it's still true today in a, in a, a different perspective. But you see, God in his love and his mercy provided a remedy. And this morning, if we're not able to see the wretchedness of our life experience with sin in it, to the point that we understand how much mercy it took for God to redeem us back, it takes an understanding. It takes that, that reality in our heart that I cannot save myself. I am not worthy. There's no way for me to have that security in God. And it's just because of his love and his mercy that he handed it over to me that he made it available. And the more we understand the holiness of God and the unholiness of our natural man, the more we understand that, the more keenly we sense the need to buy gold, to reach out and accept and experience the provisions that God has made to live a holy life and to experience salvation and redemption from our horrible state of sinfulness and degradation. It's nothing we can do. And in case you get the wrong idea, I want to straighten this out. And that is that in my illustration of those miners climbing that mountain and all that affliction they put themselves under to get across that mountain and, and get down that river and get to where the gold was, that illustration does not illustrate that we can be possessing the gold because we work so hard to get it. That's where that breaks down. Actually, the way that illustration fits, the spiritual experience is that when we are willing to invest and give up of what is ours for what's better, then we've got the right picture. And in reality, they did that. But I don't want us to get the idea that I'm preaching that if we work hard enough and if we are brave enough and we're strong enough and we push hard enough, we'll get there. That's not true in the spiritual realm. That's not how you gain the goal. But it is a cost. It's an investment. It's actually giving up everything. You know, I've said already, and I want to be careful how I say this, but I want I think it, it makes a very vivid point. And maybe I've said it before here. I'm I'm so all of us are so devastated when we hear someone committed suicide. Because they they 
were miserable. They, they didn't find life worth living. But the biggest tragedy of that is they, they destined their soul to eternal damnation forever. And it's, it's so, so sad. But I've said this, that a person who commits suicide was this close to the kingdom of God. And that makes it even more sad because they actually came to the point they were willing to give up everything, throw it away for something that was elusive to them. It was, it was a release from pain. But it actually was not. It would introduce them to everlasting pain. But you see, the thing that suicide and, and, and being born again has in common is that you have to get to the end of yourself and give up. But when you accept Christ, you get new life. You get the real thing. You get joy. You get all these glorious realities in your life instead of experiencing the curse on sin. And I say that hopefully to sharpen our understanding of, of how important it is to get this right. It's interesting that in Revelation where Jesus was talking to the Laodicean church, in verse 17, he actually uh, explains to them what fool's gold is. I know you've heard of fool's gold. It's that glittering uh mineral on some rocks that looks golden and it, it can give you the idea this must be gold. It looks so much like it. In reality, the chemistry, the chemical makeup, the chemistry makeup of it is worth nothing. But here's what the spiritual, uh, spiritual fool's gold looks like. He says, because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. You see, they were in that, that community of material wealth where they were able to say, I'm rich. They had gold. They had clothing, immaculate clothing. They were top of the line in society. And they could, they had medicine to fix their health problems. They had what it took to sustain themselves. And so they felt they were on top of things in life. And you know what? That is so easy for us to be part of in a day when we have so much at our disposal. We have so much out there that can meet our needs that it's easy to be content that we don't need a whole lot more. Although underneath, we always are needing more. And part of that, I believe, is due to the fact that God has created us with this vacuum that we need him we need to reach out and experience the gift that he's gift promised us if we are willing to, I don't like to say pay the price, but if we're willing to invest and pay the cost. In 1 Peter, we have these words. Chapter 4, verse 6 and following. And for this cause was the gospel preached also to them that are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh. The word of the gospel brings judgment. That's the fire from God to bring judgment on sin. And, and what's the purpose of that is to bring gold into that life. It says, but, but then they, if they are, if they are willing to hear the word and be judged, the next part of that verse says, but live according to the God, according to God in the spirit. But the end of all things is at hand. And this is for us to pay attention to this morning very carefully. Listen to what it says. 
He says, but the end of all things is at hand. Be therefore sober and watch into prayer. And above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves. For charity shall cover the multitude of sins. Use hospitality one to another without grudging. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. The manifold grace of God is another another definition of the gold that God wants to give us. And he says, if we have received that gift, we're to be sharing it with others without grudging. How do we share the gold? Well, actually, in 1 John and other verses, and I'm going to come across another here shortly, he talks about the fact that if we have the love of God in our heart, then we love our brethren. We have fellowship with each other. One of the concerns that, that has surfaced in, in this whole situation of being apart from each other and so on, I came to this realization that actually we need to be careful as a church that we're not just a social club, that we enjoy each other's company, that we enjoy visiting together and, and uh, just meeting each other's emotional needs, but that our, our unity, our, our community, common unity, as we talked about in our Sunday school class this morning, is because we have the common denominator of having the gold. And because we are in touch with God, we have, have bought into his program, so to speak, then we have his love in us. It's not something we can, we can create, but rather he puts it in our life. When we have that joy and that rejoicing in him, he pours that love, his love into our heart, and that love in our heart then flows to others. And that's true fellowship. And it can flow even in times of adversity and uncommon situations. We can still have that camaraderie with each other on a spiritual level. Now, we need each other. We need to encourage each other. We need each other's presence. I'm not saying that we should all go in a corner and hide and just love from our closet. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying that it does challenge us to be sure that the basis of our fellowship is coming from the right roots, that it's God in our heart. We're experiencing that that bliss and that blessedness of being in him and, and being owning that gold. And our hearts just overwhelm with, with love and with worship. You see, our, our gratitude to God for what he's provided for us expresses itself in our worship, in our love to him. We are thankful. We want to express that love. We want to sing. We want to do things to let that, that expression of thanks, thankfulness and worship be exposed. But also at the same time, that what's coming out of the heart is that love for each other and for, and for the lost and for all men. I've said it before and I'll say it again. If you sense that you lack love, don't determine that you've got to work on that and increase your love. You've got to just work harder at loving. Now you need to work harder at putting Jesus on, dressing yourself in Jesus, like I talked about in a message a couple of weeks back, that we're to put on Christ. And there's only one way to properly put on Christ, and that is to, to put off the old man. In other words, repent for sin. Peter's words in the sermon that we studied in our Sunday school this morning was repent and be baptized. You cannot experience the blessing of God and the gold in your life until you, you discharge yourself of, of that self-life. And it takes acknowledgement that you are a sinner 
confessing that you agree with God that you're a sinner and that you need what he has. Those are are primary steps that must be taken if we're going to be able to have gold in our possession. And of course, all this takes place in our life by the activity of the Holy Spirit at work. And we talked about that again this morning. In Zechariah 4, 6, it says this, Then he answered and said, and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. It's not what we can conjure up, not what we can manage, but it's that surrender, that agreement to pursue God at all cost, at all sacrifice of ourselves, that we can then be able to experience the Holy Spirit's work. That's part of the gift. That's part of the gold package is the Holy Spirit at work. In 1 Thessalonians 4, it says, Be therefore, he therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who also hath given unto us the Holy Spirit. But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you, for ye yourselves, ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. That verse confirms what I had just explained earlier. And so there are a couple of things I want us to think about as it relates to how we get there. Conviction of sin is actually part of that fire that refines us. And it's this conviction that leads us to repentance. It's the beginning phase of refining fire. The continued chastening by conviction of our imperfections and the continuing process is the continuing process of that fire in our lives. In other words, it's not just that initial judgment on sin in our life. We need to continually be, be trying our lives, uh, submitting ourselves to the fire, having those, those things in our life that are not in accordance with God's will burn out of our life to purify our lives that we can be pure gold. Joy and love that follow obedience is part of the gold we receive at our invest, for our investment and allows us to experience and participate in the glorious spiritual reality of being clothed with Christ's righteousness. You see, it's Christ's righteousness in my life that makes me right, not mine. And he's there because I have surrendered my will and, and repented. But after, the, after that initiation and we begin to, to walk that walk, enjoy that relationship, we still need to experience deal with those things as I mentioned and I want us to notice in Hebrews chapter 12 a number of verses here it says and ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto son uh, unto children my son despise thou not the chastening of the Lord a reference to that fire nor faint when thou art rebuked of him another reference to that fire to cleanse and purify the gold for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth fire and scourgeth fire. Do any of you like chastening? Do you like those things in your life that make you miserable and uncomfortable and, and disappointed and, and all those things that God allows to come into your life? Do you enjoy them? No. Do you enjoy the, the fire as it, as it affects our bodies adversely? No, it's painful, very painful. Sometimes in our spiritual walk, we experience some of those painful times. But it's calling us to surrender and to invest in the spiritual realities that God wants us to be part of and, and be experiencing. 
In verse 8, it goes on to say, but if ye be without chastisement, whereof are all our partakers, in other words, no one really escapes the fire, then are ye bastards and not sons, or you are not are illegitimate sons. You're not really sons. You might think you are, you might try to be, but unless you properly respond to the chastisement of the Lord in your life, you're not really his son. He goes on to say, verse 9, furthermore, we have had our fathers in the flesh who corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much more, much rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But he, for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness, that we might have the gold. Now, no chastening or no fire for the present seems to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, Afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. How are we exercised properly in this investing process? You know, earlier we had a verse in Zechariah, and I thought it was kind of interesting. Often people buy gold by going through a broker. And here he says, and they shall call upon me. They, they went straight to the source, and they, and I will hear them. Our proper response to God's chastening in our lives or the, the conviction about sin is, is the proper response to that is what gets us the valuable spiritual reality. Now I want to say this quickly, and that is this, that when, when Marie and I were there in Alaska, they took us to a place where they had mined gold already and they had bagged up little bags of dirt that had a little bit of gold in it and they gave us a pan and water and said you can find your gold for yourself and so we panned gold we panned for gold and we worked and we worked and finally we found just a little glittering speck and we got kind of excited it was gold it was real gold and after a while Marie found a little bit and I found a little bit more and so well we didn't know how much this was worth so after it was all over they uh we took it in, they evaluated it, and they weighed it, and they said, well, you're the proud owners of about $5 worth of gold. So, you know, we didn't, and actually, I think if you went and bought that bag of gold, a bag of dirt, they called it pay dirt. If you bought that bag, it was 10 bucks. Now, uh, it was included in our tour, so we didn't know that we spent that 10 bucks. But uh, we have that gold at home, and we have a little bit of gold. But, you know, that gold is just nothing compared to what God has for us. Here is where you find the gold. By the way, what I want to say is the way you find gold is you have to wash the dirt out. Water is always tremendously necessary in finding the gold. And the same is true in your spiritual life. If you're not spending time in the sanctifying word of God, then you're not going to be very able to find the gold. But the precious truths that you can put your faith in and, and compare your life to and deal with issues in your life that are out of step with this truth, that's how the gold happens in your life. And I want to encourage you, if you're not having a regular, meaningful devotional life, then you're not panning very well for gold. And I encourage you, spend more prayerful time seeking for the true riches that God wants to exhibit in your life. And so my challenge to you this morning is, are you really enjoying the discovery of gold in your life experience?
I believe you are. But the challenge to me, and I believe to you would be this morning, how much richer could I be if I took more serious the value of what God has given and what he wants me to enjoy? Let's stand for closing prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we again acknowledge this morning that you are the giver of life and that you are the giver of eternal life. We thank you for that option that you have provided that we can experience redemption and cleansing and we can actually buy the gold from you. You can, you will instill in us the valuable things of eternity in our life now and then we can anticipate those glorious realities in the life to come. And so we, we pray this morning, Father, that your Holy Spirit would work in us, bring conviction where conviction is needed, uh, prompt us to open our Bibles more, prompt us to be uh, prayerful in our, uh, in our watching and observing and seeking, that you can speak to our hearts, you can anoint our lives with your Holy Spirit and make us shine as gold. We thank you, Father, that your mercies are new every day, that you are willing to forgive us and desire to be right there and give us what we need. We thank you so much for that, Father. We pray that you will just allow your spirit to have that freedom in our hearts to develop what you want to uh, create in us. And we ask also for your protection against the wiles of the devil, the earthly influences that are out to condemn us, to frustrate us, to challenge us, to bring fear. Father, we just want to commit that all to you and ask for your protection, your blessing in our lives. Be with each one here this morning, Father, and meet out a special blessing for every special need. And we want to bring you the glory and the praise and the honor and worship from our hearts and our lives by the way we live. We ask this all in Jesus' precious and worthy name. Amen.